I suspect all of us are more than aware of the events that are happening in Ukraine with Russia invading. And I suspect for many of us it has evoked lots of different feelings, lots of different questions. So tonight we wanted to just chat about God, about war, about violence, and about all of these things. Now at the start, we're going to do a disclaimer. You wanted to just say a little bit at the Yeah, beginning. it's just to say, uh, I don't claim any expertise, and I'm very nervous about saying anything, because who am I? If I knew the answers to these things, I would be prime minister or president. Well, you probably wouldn't, because you'd have quite a lot of intelligence and... <laughs> Indeed. And so, if I say things that are, turn out to be foolish, I apologize. Please do weigh everything, test everything, ponder things. Uh, I'm fairly confident on the biblical stuff. I'm not at all confident on the rest. And there'll be a lot of times when I just say I don't know. And, and just to say about that, that I have not, I do not, I am not studying the news because uh, I can't deal with that. I have lots of difficult and sad things here in Sutton Coalfield that I have to carry. Folks in the church have lots of issues, folks I pray for. And there's an, a, 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 it's like an inbox in my brain that gets full of concern for other people. And I realize that for my own continuance and resilience in continuing to care for people, there are times when I have to say, I can't look at stuff that I can't affect. If there are things I can't change, sometimes I have to let it go. So if you ask me details of the news, I've looked at the big picture stuff, but I don't pour over it because I can't cope with it. Mm. That probably makes me completely unqualified for being here. No, not, not at all, not at all. I think you come with a humility, uh, and that's really good. You don't come saying, I know all of the answers. And I suspect for many of us, we have that same sense of we can't really cope with everything that we are seeing on our screens and we're reading in our papers. And there'll be different ways that this crisis has affected us. I suspect for some of us, we are very fearful. Maybe we have family and friends in Ukraine, in Russia. We're worried about them. We're worried about the knock-on effect. For some of us, we're just worried about the implications upon us, whether this is going to escalate and what that might look like for Europe, for us. Others of us might be frustrated and angry. Why aren't we doing more? Why are we letting this happen? Where's God? What's, what's going on? So I think we want to handle this as sensitively as possible, recognizing the, the whole breadth of emotions. And what we wanted to just do at the start, and, and Chloe and the band have led us brilliantly uh, to this place, and Chloe's prayed for us. I just want to pray again, and just pray for us as we're gathered here, as we're watching online, just the different emotions that perhaps this is evoking, and that God would meet with us, and that this would be a, a helpful time. So let's just pray. Father God, we will all be thinking and feeling different things as the news has unfolded in these last few weeks. Father, I pray for Donald. I pray for myself that you would give us great sensitivity and wisdom as we begin to talk through some of the questions and the issues. And I pray for each one of us, whether we're here live in the building, whether we're watching. Father, I pray that gently by your Holy Spirit, you would come and meet with us. Where there's fear, would you bring peace? 
where there are frustrations, where there's anger, where there's questions about you, Father, I pray that you would reveal yourself in ways that are helpful. I pray at the end of this session that we would know that you are good. We would know that we can put our trust in you and that you are at work in this world. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, you said that you're good at the Bible, so we're going to start with the Bible. I want to say good. No, you are good with the Bible. You're very good with the Bible. We want to, we want to start with just a, a biblical perspective of God and war. Hmm. And I think sometimes when we look at the Bible, you've got the Old Testament. The Old Testament seems to be full of battles and war. And sometimes it would seem that God instigates these battles and these wars, and there's a bit of ethnic cleansing. And some people look at the Old Testament and think that God is quite angry and bloodthirsty and very pro-war. And then you have the New Testament and you have Jesus. And Jesus seems to be the complete opposite. He seems to be a, a pacifist that doesn't react, that doesn't get involved. Just bring us a bit of clarity on, on what seems to be uh, two different extremes. What, what does God think about war? It's, uh, it can appear very confusing. Let's start in a, th- in a, in a third place. The, towards the end of the Old Testament, you're getting a picture of the new kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. Um, Isaiah, Micah, talking about the new kingdom. And it's described, well, here's a little bit from Isaiah. This is Isaiah 2. Um, this is talking about, it may be, these are just following on from some of the scriptures that we have at Christmas about the son that was born unto us, a child is born, all that. He says, Isaiah says, he will judge between the nations. He will dis- settle disputes for people. They will beat their swords into plowshares. In other words, the weapons of war will become weapons of agriculture and of blessing. They will beat their tool- swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. The wolf will lie down with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the goat and the, little chi- the calf and the lion and the yearling together and the little child will lead them. The first thing I want to say is it's really clear that war is not what God intends. It's not what he wants, and therefore the picture of heaven is where it's completely gone. And that's what, when Jesus talks about bringing the kingdom of heaven in, he is bringing in this kingdom that is non-violent. And I want to read in a moment and see some of the things that he says, because it's really startling. And the words, some of the words that he's said have challenged humanity ever since. But our issues with the beginning of the Old Testament are actually based, really, because we're reading them as we hear Jesus. And we're going, how can God allow the things of the very beginning of the Old Testament? So there's two things I want to say as to why that stuff is there at the beginning. The first is that uh, most of the time, the, the Bible is recording the history of the futility of war. So there's a lot of times when it's just recorded rather than necessarily praised, and you end up seeing what happens to the nations that use war. And 
Israel ends up in two in Judah and Israel and ends up in exile. And, and as the prophets talk about why uh, Israel never becomes a huge empire, it's because of the way they treat the poor and the vulnerable and the foreigner and the widow and the oppressed. So why does it there at times, why does God say that they were to take up war? The, the analogy I always use in Alpha, and you're familiar with this, is, is the crossing the road analogy. That uh, when my kids were little, and I forgive me if you've heard this before, but it's the best way I can think of explaining it. When my kids were aged, I don't know, from the moment they could understand language, whatever, I've forgotten how old that is, uh, 15, 15 or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, from, you know, about 18 months or whatever it is, right through to, I don't know, six or seven. I taught them very, very firmly and quite aggressively, you never, ever, ever cross the road without holding my hand. Now, I wasn't lying, but I was laying a foundation. And there came a point when they were about 17, 18, where I said to them, <laughs> you need to look right, look left, look right again, if all clear, cross the road and let go of my hand. Now, was I contradicting myself? I would say that what you're teaching initially is the fear of cars, rightly so. And that fear of cars is then reapplied into look right, look left, look right again. And don't cross the road while you're filming with a camera. Can I just say that as well? <laughs> <laughs> Go back and watch last week's live stream. Um, the beginning of the Old Testament teaches us about the end of the world. We believe that when humanity is over, God will say, there are some things that you as human beings have done is wrong. And it cannot be tolerated. And we're seeing things on the news today that are wrong. Mm. And that God says that should not happen. And we call that the day of judgment. And the New Testament makes it very clear that the day of judgment is delayed for the return of Christ. It's delayed to give humanity the opportunity to repent. But it will come like a thief in the night. And Peter makes that really clear. It's a really key passage in 1 Peter to, that explains this. But the beginning of the Old Testament is before the concept of the day of judgment, but it does teach about God's judgment. It does teach that there are certain things that God says cannot exist and are unacceptable. And so early on, there's a few cases where God says that the, 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 the religious practice of sacrificing children or using women as as uh, sexual uh, pr prostitutes for worship, that that was unacceptable and it had to be eliminated. But it was like, the best way I can explain it is it was like us saying, you don't cross the road without holding my hand. It was God at the very beginning saying, there are some things that are completely unacceptable. And as time, as the Bible moves on, you get to the point where the, the concept of the day of judgment is, is explained and 
Then you get Jesus. And fundamentally, I am a follower of Jesus. And what that means is I believe that Jesus is the full and final and complete revelation of the character and nature of God. That there is nothing in Jesus that is not God, and there is nothing of God that is not in Jesus. That you cannot divide because Jesus is fully God. That's what it means to believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior. So Jesus speaks to a nation that is occupied by an oppressive empire. By an empire that has taken over the land and that abuses and mistreats its citizens. This is what he says. He says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you, take your shirt and hand over your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, now this is quite a a niche thing that he says here. Because what happened with Roman soldiers or Roman citizens is that they wouldn't need to carry their pack. And if they were traveling on a journey, they had the right to grab any citizen of the empire and said, carry my bag. Humiliating. Taking them out of the way of whatever they planned for that day. And there was a movement, as you would imagine, of people who wanted to overthrow the Romans, who wanted to stand against this oppression. And they wanted to stand against, in particular, the people who collaborated and enabled this oppression, and they were called tax collectors. They were the people who raised money from their own people and gave it to the Romans and maintained this oppression. Sometimes you've seen the word zealot in, in, the, in the Bible. Probably that was what Barabbas was, who was crucified with Jesus, or wasn't crucified, who Jesus took the place of. So when he says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, Jesus is saying something incredibly political. And they're listening. Now, what's he going to say? Is he going to say, don't carry it? Is he going to say, turn around and resist? The really threatening and scary thing is, he says this, if anyone forces you to go to one mile, go with them too. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get Even tax collectors do that. But to you I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. 
and pray for those who mistreat you. So the Bible begins somewhere, which is fundamentally saying that oppression and violence is wrong and it will be judged. And it moves to express that clearly. I'll stop there, shall I? Having us some my ramblings. I'll go further, but we'll stop there. And let you no, that's, that's really good. That's helpful. Um, I've got loads of great questions, so thank you. Keep them coming in. Uh, there's loads. Uh, so this kind of uh, moves us on from that. So we have what the Old Testament says, the New Testament, Jesus. This is what you're to do. So I want to begin to explore, is there any ever any time that it's right to engage in, in war. So this question, uh, Ecclesiastes 3 verse 8 says, there is a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Then goes on to say Matthew 5 verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Is there any such thing as a righteous, just or moral war? I mean, we've been involved in some wars, uh, our country, world wars, the Falklands, is there ever a right and just cause where it is okay for a nation to go to war? Well, I think it's helpful. So Christians have debated this for centuries and discussed this and refined this. And there was an a early church leader called Augustine who began to shape things and then churches have shaped it. And they've come up with what's called the just war theory, which is, is recognised by a lot of churches and became the basis of um, the international, the Convention on War Crimes, and all of that's all based on the just war theory. Uh, and let me re let me give you uh, how it goes. So the just war theory, uh, which is trying to 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 understand all of this, says that there are two things. A war, there must be a right reason to go to war, and then the war must be conducted in the right way. So the right reasons to go to war, according to this theory, which many, many Christians would sign up to, although there, there would be some who would say there's never, and they would be called pacifists. Just war is this. First, that you are not recapturing or punishing, but that you go to war to protect innocent life that is in imminent danger. So you only go to war to protect life that is in imminent danger. You do not go to war to reclaim land. You do not go to war to have vengeance. You do not go to, have, go to war for any other reason than to protect life. That's the first thing. The second thing is called competent authority. And that is that only, what they say, duly constituted public authorities may wage war. Now, that's been interpreted since 1940-whatever as the United Nations. Mm -hmm. So only when there is a resolution from uh, governments that are recognized can you go to war. Thirdly, that there is a right intention. And the intention must be to alleviate suffering, not to gain land. So you've got just cause, competent authority, right intention. Third, fourthly, yeah, fourthly, probability of success. That you can only go to war if the, the objective is realistic and not mutual 
destruction of many, many lives. So that's the fourth one. Fifth one, that it is the last resort and that every other peaceable and viable alternative has been exhausted. Sixthly and lastly, that it is proportionate, that the methods used are the minimum to achieve the objective, to save life. So if we look at those six objectives, I know there's a second part which we're going to come on to as to actually how you carry out yeah. the war. We look back in history uh, and we would say that take the Second World War, for example, that met in that first half those criteria. If we look at what's going on in the Ukraine, there's a lot of does not meet that criteria at all, does it, if we compare what that says? Yes. So I think that what is just really interesting about our situation, when it talks about all peaceful and viable alternatives, the sanctions mm -hmm. and the isolation take longer mm -hmm. but may well be more effective than violence. The, 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 I, I, it's a really interesting quote I heard about the First World War. And the, um, it was Dan Snow, actually, the, the historian. He was talking about the Ukrainian crisis and he was comparing it to the First World War, where one small conflict escalated. Mm -hmm. And he said that it was the weakness of leaders who were too afraid to appear weak. Mm -hmm. Their weakness was that they needed to look strong. And that that is catastrophic for humanity. When a person is afraid of people saying you're not doing enough. And that's part of the, 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 the danger and the just war theory, which I think has a, a lot of wisdom, it's been refined and thought about for centuries, it does actually stop, if we were to hold it, the mm -hmm. vast majority yep. of conflicts of the 20, 20th and 21st century. Yep. Because it slows the whole process down. Um, can I say one? Can I just go on to my other, another little bit just to say go is that um, lots of you will know that I, I'm tremendously influenced and admiring of Martin Luther King and Desmond Tutu. I know less about Gandhi, but there is a similarity. I was looking into this this week and you know, Martin Luther King has this quote, which I quote so often, I think I use it nearly every wedding. <laughs> but you'll have heard me say it so often, where he talks about uh, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Hate cannot drive out hate. Violence cannot drive out violence. All they do is multiply it. Mm -hmm. And he stood for non-violence, and he stood for resisting. And uh, in the civil rights 
period between 1955 and his assassination in 1968, 41 people were killed directly, 41 over 13 years, including seven uh, white clergymen who were marching and standing with the black community. 41, an average of three and a half people a year until his death. In Northern Ireland, where nonviolence was not practiced, where there was an equal oppression of the Catholic community and discrimination, 3,532 people were killed, 1,840 of whom were civilians with no, no connection to resistance at all. That's an average of 118 people per year. I don't think war or violence works. It creates hatred that has to be repaid. Mm -hmm. That is what we've seen in Northern Ireland. That is what Desmond Tutu worked so hard to stop in South Africa. And I really admire him for that. There is a place for resistance. I understand all of that, but it has to be the last resort, in my view, to take life. Because otherwise we just create further enemies. So we've got those five points as to this is a just cause for war. Mm. Then actually how you enact war, there's also some yeah. points for that so as the, well. So the just way of, of acting, let me, because I don't remember it, so I must have my notes uh, in front of me. Uh, is that, firstly, that there should be what's so it's called right conduct. It should be distinction that the acts of war must be directed solely against combatants and not towards non-combatants. That it means that you're not allowed to kill civilians or bomb civilian areas uh, or non-legitimate military targets. That prisoners of war must be treated, uh, must be looked after with dignity and respect. Um, that you are not allowed to attack anyone who's surrendered. All of these are the definitions of what creates war crimes, which yep. uh, uh, that you're not allowed to uh, injure or, or uh, uh, kill anyone who is um, uh, medical, who is mm -hmm. trying to protect, or anyone who's already injured, or anyone who is already disabled in, one, in whatever form or, or surrendered. So that's whole, you have to distinguish that, it's called proportionality, that you cannot use excessive force, and that you can only attack military objectives, and the intention of any attack must be to defeat the enemy, not to harm people, and not excessive, and not use indiscriminate weapons. So we talked about World War II. World War II qualified in the first section. The second section, it was let down by Hiroshima, Dresden, lots of other places that actually they took it to the extreme and that wasn't helpful. Yeah. Uh, and we see that with quite a few wars, that things escalate, yes. things get out of control. Yes. That's the problem. Once you start, there is this huge escalation. Yes. And one of the things I really respect about the Ukrainian uh, prime minister, president, I think he's called, um, 
is his whole stance is we're not going to attack, but we're going to defend. Mm. That we're, we're not going to be the perpetrators, but actually if you're going to attack our country, we're going to stand up and defend, but we don't want to escalate it. We, we, we want to stop it. And I think I've really respected his whole attitude. I've not really known much about him before this, but you think that's right. He's not trying to escalate this war. He's trying to protect his people uh, and stand firm, which is what they're doing. Um, so just some other questions. I've got lots of little uh, questions to throw at you. If we turn our attention to President Putin, okay, because a lot of this obviously boils back down to him. Um, I've got a couple of questions about that. The first question, and I'll give you the two, then you can answer it. Is it wrong to pray for President Putin to be taken out? And then um, another one. Uh, is it right to pray that God should strike Putin and his leaders with an Old Testament kind of holy punishment? I pray that God would stop President Putin. Absolutely. By whatever means he chooses to use. God knows how to do these things. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so talking about President Putin, God loves the world. God loves the whole of mankind. God is face to face with President Putin. What do you think he would say and what kind of tone of voice would he use and how would he be towards him? I think if President Putin falls on his knees before he dies and cries out to God and said, I have mercy on me, I have done wrong. Mm -hmm. I think God forgives him. Mm -hmm. I think if President Putin dies without acknowledging that he has done wrong, he will experience the wrath and anger of God. Which is a terrible thing. Let's be slightly controversial. Let's say that at some point in his life he's made a decision to follow Jesus. What will that wrath look like? Will that be a you just don't get a well done, good and faithful servant? Will he still be welcomed into heaven? Or will the consequences of his crimes mean that God is that you've done such a... I, I think that if in the future mm -hmm. there is a genuine repentance which is matched with all that is needed to do the best as he can to put it right, mm -hmm. I think God forgives because if he doesn't forgive him, he, he may, is he going to forgive me? Yep. And that's the grace that's shocking and disturbing. But I want to believe in a God who always is trying to change hearts. And if mm -hmm. you get to a point where you say that heart is unchangeable, mm -hmm. you actually perpetuate, you give no reason for him to change and you actually embed somebody in worse behavior. Yeah. But I don't believe that the current actions are possible were Christ to be yes, in his life. Absolutely. And, um, a lot of people are looking at what he's done and are labeling Russia. They're tiring every Russian with the same brush. We should be praying for him. We should be praying with grace and mercy for the people in his country because most of them don't know the truth. Yeah, and I think this is thrown up one of the biggest things of this, our generation is the vital importance of truth mm -hmm. and, and where a whole nation is being misled and, and, and told things that are, are lies. That's, that's, 
horrendous. And I, I know that there are many, many folks who are risking their lives to stand against him within Russia. But even if none of that were true, Jesus tells us to love our enemies. Yeah. Because that's how you change wars. Yes. If you, if you go back to any conflict, if you hate people, you just, con you just perpetuate it. The bottom line is God doesn't want any more mothers to lose their children. Mm -hmm. He doesn't mm -hmm. want people to lose their husbands and their dads and their children. And if we feed and stoke hatred, we perpetuate. We've seen that in Northern Ireland. Mm -hmm. We've experienced mm -hmm. it. Where people are, are repaying things, not just from 30 years ago, but from 300 years yeah. ago. Yeah. Get over it. Yeah. We can't keep hating people. Mm -hmm. We have to see people the way God created them as his children, loved mm -hmm. and precious and worth the death of Jesus. Yeah. And we cannot perpetuate hate. We have to deal with it in our hearts mm -hmm. and pray, 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 pray for the Russian people because, you know, the best realistic outcome is that they say we don't want this. Yeah. Right, some, some quick fire questions because we are running out of time. If a fighter pilot was a Christian and was sent into a no-fly zone and had to shoot down enemy aircraft, would they then have to repent or would it be okay with God because it is for the greater good? I think these are immensely difficult questions for someone like myself who's never been in that place. I think, I'm not a, I used to be a pacifist, I'm not a pacifist. If you kick down my front door with a, and you run in with a sword and, or a knife and you try to attack uh, Sue or the boys, I may well take a baseball bat. Mm -hmm. Not that I've got a baseball mm -hmm. bat, but you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I can't, I think you have, I can't say I wouldn't resist. Yeah. So uh, I don't, I can't, it's, I don't think it's for me to judge. Those who are, feel called into the military service, we are grateful for. I am grateful for the, the willingness to put themselves in a very, not just dangerous situation, but an emotionally difficult situation. I can't say whether they would need to. I don't know the answer to that. Um, I know that I couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. I know that I couldn't do it. I learned about my dad. Uh, again, one of the things I learned long after he's died, I, he, he, uh, uh, he uh, was conscripted into the Navy in the, towards the end of the Second World War, but he chose to go on the minesweepers because the, the uh, and minesweepers are quite dangerous because he, they could hit the mine. But he told my mum that he didn't want to do anything that would kill anyone, but he wanted to make the world a better place. And I guess I would probably have gone in that. I was amazed at that because I thought, that's how I would see it. I never mm -hmm. had that conversation with my dad. Mm -hmm. But I value and respect those mm -hmm. who do take life on our behalf. Yeah. And I can't, I can't judge that. Yeah. Um, is it selfish that we've become so concerned with this war in Ukraine because of the potential knock-on effects and not paid attention to so many other conflicts around the world? It's a fair question. I think it probably is. 
I think the people of Yemen or various other, I mean, even that I can't name them. Yeah. But, 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 but I'm looking at Robin and, and Robin would tell me of other nations yeah. around the world where there are things going on that we don't hear about and we don't care yeah. about. And I think there is a problem there. Yep. Um, okay, should we take in Ukrainian refugees? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, yeah, absolutely. A lot of people have interpreted what's going on in the Ukraine. We've got a few questions around this uh, as being signaling the end times, that maybe President Putin is the beast and a whole load of other things that are referred to in Revelation. What's your take on that? Uh, well, without going into Revelation fully, I believe that Revelation has been relevant to humanity throughout its existence. I don't believe that the people in the 1400s are reading a revelation saying, I don't understand this, what's it got to do with us? I believe that the Bible is for all generations at all times. I think the end times are from the moment Jesus ascended to the moment he returned. So I think the book of Revelation describes uh, what a broken world run by Satan looks like, that he is the ruler of this world, and that revelation describes that conflict, and it fits every generation, it fits, fits Stalin, it fits uh, Hitler, it fits uh, Napoleon or um, Wellington or whoever, it just fits every, every generation. Yep. There are wars, there are pandemics, there are earthquakes, that is what is described. I do not believe it is at all helpful to say, okay, that means this, this, and this is going to happen. I've, I, I'm convinced that Jesus doesn't want us to know the future. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He wants us to live every day as though we can meet Jesus tonight, and he wants us to live with integrity as peacemakers. So I'm not comfortable with the thing, of, oh, we need to let this happen because it will bring Jesus back. I would not want to meet Jesus if I'd done that. The command... And, and, you know, when Jesus uses the word command, that kind of, it's like trumping it. It's the big mm -hmm. thing. It's the most important thing you say. If I command, what does he command? Commands me to love. Mm -hmm. He commands it. I cannot do anything but be a peacemaker. I cannot hate or fuel war or allow war or allow more people to be orphaned or widowed or whatever it is. That's the command. Mm -hmm. it, it's more important. So I don't... I'm going to get things going on the internet. We might have to change it. I don't care whether it's this, that, or the next thing. The point is, how do I live now? Mm -hmm. I am to live now knowing that Revelation tells me this is what the life is to be like, and it tells me what to do. Yeah. It tells me to pray, yeah. and it tells me to be faithful, mm -hmm. and that is what I must do. I must pray and be faithful mm -hmm. uh, and not try and speculate. Mm -hmm. Jesus made it very clear, don't try and work out when he's returning. Be ready tonight. Mm -hmm. It's half past seven. I've ranted. Do you want to just, I've got a couple more. Yeah, or whatever you, wanna... you think, whatever you think. Okay. UK supplies weapons to Saudi Arabia, who then use them on the Yemen genocide. Does this make the UK and therefore us as guilty as Putin? You're going to regret saying yes, some more questions. I think it makes us guilty of something. Mm -hmm. 
I think we should spend all the money we spend on arms on subsidizing fuel and gas. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Am I getting into trouble? No, I completely agree with you. Um, what about us? What should, let's bring it right back to us. We've talked about all of these things out there. Bring it back to us. What should our response be as individual followers of Jesus, us as a church? What are some of the things that we should and can be doing? Well, I think we need to learn the lessons of, of the Second World War where our nation turned to God in prayer mm. and there were miraculous things that happened. Yep. Uh, we've shown it before, but if you watch that, the, the video about Dunkirk, mm. it's amazing. I think we need to pray. Yeah. I think really need to pray and pray for peace, pray that this is stopped. And persevere with that because a lot of the time when you pray, you just think this is making no difference. You turn your telly on, you look at the internet, there's a bombing, there's a da 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 da. Keep persevering, keep on praying because God is working. There are little glimmers and stories and things that are. Oh, did I just cut out then? Keep praying. Absolutely. I think, so I think we must absolutely pray. I think we need to love. Mm. and not allow hatred or escalation. The most dangerous thing is escalation, is making leaders feel, I have to be strong by being more aggressive. Actually, we need to be calming things and minimizing death. We need to be the Martin Luther Kings, the Desmond Tutus, in the workplace, in the office, the people who speak of nonviolence the people who speak of de-escalating, and we must love uh, our neighbor and, and, and welcome not just Ukrainians, but welcome mm -hmm. the Russian people who are trying mm -hmm. to get out as well, mm. because they're not safe in their own country. And pray for people making decisions. I mean, the whole no-fly zone has been a huge bone of contention, but if we then did that, that would escalate things yeah. immensely. Yeah, yeah to praying for leaders to stand firm? The easy thing is to stoke up hatred and aggression. And it's, I don't believe it's the way of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I go back to Martin Luther King. I know there are other flawed things in his life. I'm not saying he was a saint. But on this thing, he taught something that works. And Desmond Tutu as well. Brilliant. Thank you. There is a prayer that I want us to say on the screen. Uh, if you'd like to stand with me, I'm going to give you a moment or two to read it and invite you to pray this with us. If these are the words that you want to pray at this moment, if these are words you want to pray, would you join with me? Lord, we pray for our troubled world. Protect those who offer care. Strengthen those who work for peace. Guide those who lead. Silence those who deceive. Confound those who exploit. Rebuke those who oppress. Transform those who hate. Restrain those who damage. Bring peace, hope, faith, and love. Amen.